11 o'clock service now in progress. Our speaker today is our own senior pastor, Calvin B. Rock. If you would like a copy of this service or any other service we have had, you can contact us at our location, 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. Or you can even tune in to us on the web at www.abundantlifelv.org. Again, I say we look forward to seeing you one day coming to visit us. And when you do come, please let us know that you have heard about us on the radio and you are here to visit with us. After another beautiful selection from our Abundant Life Children's Choir, the next voice you will hear will be that of our senior pastor and speaker of the morning, Pastor Calvin B. Rock. Hear ye him.
Wasn't that beautiful? We thank God for the music here at Abundant Life, our children's choir, our youth choir, our mass choir, and our music department leadership. Thank you so much, Sister Brown. Thank you, Sister Murphy, and all others who had to do with making this possible. It's a very, very sobering and yet happy sight to see so many visitors with us. We're always glad to have you. And of course, it's great to see members who have been away a while. Some of you have been out because of your relatives who have been sick or you've been indoors for a while. It's good to see you here. I don't know, I wasn't here last Sabbath, Sister Chester. I was way in Atlanta. But it's so good to see you in your usual spot. Good to see you after convalescing for so many months. And of course, when the family comes together and we see how God blesses, we always have a lift of our spirits. And today is no exception. As we begin the final quarter the final three-month period of the year, we do so with a prayer and with a message that I pray by God's grace will start us on the way to a high conclusion to the year that is rapidly leaving us. And if you will bow your head with me in prayer, we will proceed. Dear Father, thank you for the fact that he lives and that because he lives we can face tomorrow and though we do not know what the future holds we know who holds the future and it is in that assurance that we open the word and we pray as never before that it shall not be human beings we shall see but may we see Jesus in his name and for his sake we ask it. Amen. The last several times that we've had the pleasure of talking together, it has been under the general topic of she being dead yet speaketh. And the attempt has been to demonstrate from Bible study how it is that the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, do in fact constitute the rich gift that Jesus promised the church. We've talked about the greater light and the lesser light. And we have sought to demonstrate how they collaborate Always the Bible, the greater light, the only source of doctrine. But the lesser light shining as the moon reflects the light of the sun, the spirit of prophecy reflecting the light of the Bible, helping us in some beautiful ways to understand scripture in the day and times in which we live. And we've talked about the Sabbath in this regard. We've talked about finance, our tithing and our offerings, and so forth. Today, I'd like to do a final conversation along this line. 
And our scripture is John chapter 3. The third chapter of the book of John. I hope you brought your Bible. Did you bring your Bible with you today? May I see your Bible? Check you out. Beautiful. All right. That tells me you didn't come to be entertained. You came to study. You came to read and to study, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And as usual, or as I sometimes do, I'm going to have my associates on the rostrum to help me with scriptures. And so for that purpose, Pastor Lee Wars, let's get those copies out. You and Elder Fluentes can see that the ushers get them. Ushers, if you'll come forward while we are reading the scripture, I'll be reading here to save time. Deacons, deaconesses, ushers, see that everybody gets one of these sermon copies. And this way you'll be able to take home with you the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy references. If you desire the tapes, of course, that'll fill in even more. But at least you'll have this, and I hope you will benefit in your future study by being able to refer here. But the scripture is John chapter 3, and I'm going to read beginning at verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1, then we'll get to the outline that you are now receiving. There was a man of the Pharisees named who, everybody? All right. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, more assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see what, everybody? The kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the what? And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Our focus today is the Holy Spirit. Our focus today is who, everybody? The Holy Spirit. And the outline that you have will guide you as we study along. And the first segment of our study this morning is what the greater light says about the Holy Spirit. And our second half, in a few minutes, we'll review what the lesser light says or how it is that the spirit of prophecy illumines, backs up, helps to describe, and helps to understand. But let's deal with the greater light. The greater light. And the first element of the greater light's presentation regarding the Holy Spirit has to do with his identity. Exactly who is the greater light? Or who is the Holy Spirit as outlined in the greater light? 
And that's 1 John 1, 7. Pastor Lewars, lead us off here. 1 John 1, 7. And Pastor O'Bannon, be ready with Matthew 3, 16. And come on with 1 John 5, 7. Oh, did I remove you from your comfort zone, sir? No, sir. <laughs> All right. And let's get, let's get 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 5, 7. 5, 7. For there are three that testify. There are three. How many, everybody? Three. Read the rest. There are three that testify and? The spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Amen. All right. And in your old King James, it says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These are the three gods who comprise the one triune or what we call the Trinity. Now, let's read Matthew 3.16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So that the Bible informs us that there are three personalities in glory. And uh, Matthew 3.16, where Jesus is being baptized, gives us an illustration as to how these three work together. There are some churches, there are some denominations who say that you have one personality in glory or one figure in glory and sometimes he's the father then he changes and he can be the son or he can change and he can be the Holy Ghost he can be anyone he wants to be the scriptures tell us and the baptism of Christ bears it out very clearly that they are three separate personalities who comprise one operation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Does not mean that there's one personality. It means that there are three personalities who come together and function as one. There are three separate beings. And when Jesus was baptized, we see it very clearly, do we not? When Jesus was baptized, he was in the water. And while he was in the water, the Spirit of God came down as a dove. Jesus didn't disappear and become the dove. He was in the water. The dove was coming down. And there was a voice in heaven saying, this is my beloved so Jesus didn't disappear and the dove disappeared and somebody now in heaven is seeing and nobody down there receiving. In fact, they were all functioning in one event and uh, this is one of the demonstrations that remind us of how the Trinity works. The Trinity is like a circle. It's hard for us humans to understand I was in Atlanta last Sabbath and a gentleman 
whose wife I baptized many years ago came to me and he wanted some questions answered. He took my phone number and he called me this week and he said, I don't understand you Seventh-day Adventists. You all say that there are three different personalities as one when really there's only one. And he is sometimes God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost. And we had a nice chat. And I tried to explain to him. But he says, you've got to have a boss. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to be bigger than the rest of them. And I reminded him, that's the way we think. On this earth, there's always got to be a manager. There's always got to be somebody at the top of the food chain. But in heaven... They're all equal, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all eternal. There's been no beginning for any one of the three of them. Now, we can't understand that either. You know, a lot of things about God we don't understand. We, we can. Can you understand eternity? Can you explain something with no beginning? No. Because we are limited. And in our limited cognitions, our limited thoughts, we always have to have a beginning and an ending and a lesser and a greater. But with the Trinity, they're all equal. And the Holy Spirit has all the power of God. The Holy Spirit has all the powers that, that the Son has, that God the Father has. They're all equal. It's like a circle with three dashes making that circle whole and the three parts are all equal there is no greater and what we have in terms of father son and holy ghost are simply expressions to help us to understand their roles and their functions not to do with who is greater or who's lesser then there is uh, the book of Acts. Let me read with you the book of Acts. And I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 5. And here's an interesting statement that the Bible makes that helps us to clue in as to where we are. The Bible says in Acts 5 verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds. They were having a rally day. A plunk it down back in Jerusalem. And he sold a piece of property and he said he was going to give all that money for that lot he sold to buy the bus for the church school. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and said, no, we're not going to do that. And laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, it was not your own, and after it was sold. And by the way, we are stewards, and when you are a steward, remember, even what you have is not your own. Let me pause. When you are a steward, and we are stewards, what you have is not your own. Your body is not your own. Your house, your bank account, your car, your, your, your mind, it's not yours. It's God's for you to use to his glory. While it remained, it was not your own. After it was sold, was it, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart, you 
and your spouse. You have not lied to men, but to whom? To God. The Holy Spirit is called God. Verse 3 says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he identifies the Holy Spirit in verse 4 as God. The Holy Spirit is as powerful a part of the Godhead as the Father and the Son. And they have demonstrated that not only in the life of Christ, but they demonstrated it in creation because the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. Colossians 1.16 says all things were created by Jesus and Romans, or rather Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that God is the one who created by the Son. So they're all involved in creation. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And Jesus was sent by the Father, and by the Father all things were created by him. They all function in salvation. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? And who did he give? His only begotten Son. And then when Jesus left in John 14, he said, I must leave, but I will send you who? The Comforter, and the Comforter is the Holy Ghost. The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. So God sends Jesus, Jesus sends the Holy Ghost, and just as they were together in creation, so they are together in uh, salvation. And as far as their history is concerned, which is your next section, they have a history that goes way back together, the very, the very first verse of the Bible. Come, Elder Flint, let's read for us Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And then I want you to be prepared, Elder Hudson, to read Luke 4, 18. And Sister McDavid, Elder McDavid, Acts 2, verses 1 and 2. But let's read now Genesis 1, 1, as we continue with our background on the Holy Spirit from the greater light. And the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Keep on. Verse 2. Yes. The earth was without form, in void, in darkness, was on the face of the, of the deep, and the Spirit of God was overwhelming over the face of the waters. All right. Thank you. The Spirit of God, meaning the Holy Spirit, moved upon the face of the deep, and the Holy Ghost was the active agent in creation. Jesus spake and it was done, Psalm says, but the Holy Spirit was the active hands-on agent, and he superintended the creation of the world and he when we talk about history earthly history he's there from the very beginning but that's not all look at how else he has been involved in earthly history the spirit of the lord is upon me wait a minute who is speaking here elder who's doing the talking here that's jesus jesus is talking and what is jesus saying the spirit of the lord is up, is upon me and because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to preach deliverance to the captains, and recovering of sight to the blind, 
and set at liberty them that are bruised. So, the Spirit of God is in the very beginning. He moved upon the face of the deep. That's a great event. That, that's the, 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 the fundamental charter event in our history. Then the next greatest event is Jesus himself. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But look at Acts 2, verses 1 and 2. And notice what else the Bible says about the Spirit's history and activity among us. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. All right. Thank you. So you can't get much bigger than this. He's there at creation. He's there anointing Jesus. He's there on the day of Pentecost. And notice I said he... We should never refer to the Holy Ghost as it. Sometimes we forget and do that. But the Holy Ghost is he, a personality. And in all three of these, he was there. But sometimes people say, now, I don't hear much about the Holy Spirit between creation and Jesus. That's 4,000 years. What was the Holy Ghost doing all those 4,000 years? Read for us now, Pastor Lee was 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. What was the Holy Spirit doing all those years? Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So... All those 4,000 years, the Holy Spirit was busy. He was busy moving the prophets, and in many other ways, but in one special way, he was moving them to write the Word of God. He was talking to them from the very beginning. He was talking to Adam and his successors, and he was talking to Moses and those who followed him, and he was causing them to give the records that comprised the Word of God particularly the Old Testament, and right down to the very end. Pastor O'Bannon, Revelation 1.10. Notice what the Bible says, Revelation 1.10, and Elder Fluentes, be ready with Matthew 12, verse 8. But Revelation 1, verse 10. Notice that the last thing that the final book of the Bible has to say about this subject. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the what? In the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on whose day? And who's talking, Pastor O'Bannon? John. John the Revelator is talking. Thank you. John the Revelator is talking, and he says he was writing, and he was in vision, and he was in vision on what day? Lord's day. So the Holy Ghost is working on the Lord's day. And some people say, well, he must have been working hard that Sunday morning. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. But what does Matthew 12, 8 tell us? Or how much more value than is a man than a sheep? Therefore, Matthew 12, Keep on. 8, yeah. Okay. For the son of man... He is Lord even of the Sabbath. Oh, so this helps clear it up. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
And Matthew says that the Son of Man is Lord of the what? So if he is the Lord of the Sabbath, then the Lord's day must be the? So when John says, I was in the spirit on the? He must have been talking about the? And that's exactly right. So that when we close out the revelation, in the final book of the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit again is working and his history goes straight through to the end of the written word. But section three, and I'm still dealing now with the greater light and its revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has certain functions and you gotta help me now Please, Elder Hudson, with John 16, beginning at verse 7, reading on down through verse 11. And I want us to review, and please find it in your Bibles with me at home, or wherever you may be, and certainly here in the sanctuary. Let's look at John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7, and let's listen not only to his identity and his history, but his functions as given us in the greater light. He says, nevertheless... I tell you the truth. It is speedily for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you un into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself but whosoever he speak hears, that shall he speak, and he will show you all things to come. Can you say amen to that, saints? Yes. God says, Jesus says, I've got to go away, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say, what does the Bible mean when it says greater things will you do than I'm doing? How could anybody do any greater things than Jesus did? Jesus didn't mean that there'd be any one single thing greater. He meant that as a human being, he was restricted in his mobility. But when the Holy Spirit would come, he would be everywhere at once. So we would do greater things because the Holy Spirit would be in everybody's heart. And the church would be wherever God's people are. And this Holy Spirit who is promised would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now think of that. The Holy Spirit is being sent to convict of sin. Does the world need to be convicted of sin today? Amen. One of the problems today is that people have lost, the citizenry has lost its sense of morality. What is, whatever happened to sin? Whatever happened to shame? People aren't ashamed anymore. People aren't ashamed. They will do anything. Anything. There is nothing 
It's like it was in the book of Genesis when the flood was coming in Genesis 6. God said he repented that he made the world because every thought and imagination of their heart was only evil continuously. All they did was think of dirt and crime and wrong and smut and lewdness and that is the condition of our world today. People aren't ashamed. I... I it used to be when you went to get on an airplane, folk were kind of halfway dressed up. Anybody old enough to remember that? Maybe not. Too, maybe us old folk, we remember. Used to get on an airplane, folk looked a little dignified. Am I right or wrong, Sister Gail? No, you're not that old, but I mean, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Yeah, it used to be. But now they will wear nothing. It's hard to say anything. Nothing. Beyond shame. And some folk put on clothes and go down. I don't know how they get the consent of their mind. <laughs> Ugly. Stuff hanging out and wrapped around and dripping down, pants down. People have lost shame. There's no shame left. There's, there, there's no morals left. Well, I shouldn't say none. Some people have. But a world is afflicted and the Holy Spirit is sent to convince you and me how we ought to act and look and live. The Holy Spirit is there to sharpen our moral standards. The Holy Spirit is here in spite of what's happening in the world. The Holy Spirit is here to keep God's people living up to standards. It's the Holy Spirit that says it's wrong. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and the Holy Spirit is to convict us that that isn't right. That's not the way to look or act or do. And the Holy Spirit is to convince and to convict us also of righteousness. And you know what righteousness is in the Old Testament? Righteousness is treating people right. Righteousness is justice. And it's just one of the scandals of our age that we live in a world of injustice where people are rewarded because of favoritism and nepotism and tribalism and discrimination of all kinds. But the Holy Spirit is here to convict us to treat people fairly Amen. and to not have cliques. Amen. Come to think of it, it shouldn't even be cliques in the church. Shouldn't be any favorites. You might have some that you're more familiar with and you kind of coordinate with more closely, but no cliques. There shouldn't be any, any divisions and any favoritism. The Holy Spirit is here to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. One of the problems in the world is that they don't believe there's going to be a judgment someday. And when you stop believing in God, then you don't believe you've got to give an accountability to somebody one day. But there is an accountability coming. There will be payday someday, and the Holy Spirit's function is to convince and convict. And we don't have time to go through all of these scriptures, but you read them when you go home. John 16, 13 says, he's to guide us into all truth. He's to lead us into all truth. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says, he's here to give gifts. And one of the gifts is the spirit of prophecy. And Romans 8.26 says he's here to assist us in prayer. I'm so glad the Holy Ghost assists me in my prayers, aren't you? Amen. 
Have you ever been so tired and, and so confused you didn't know what to pray? All you can say is, Lord, have mercy? Yes. Maybe you haven't been there. But I've had times and all I can say was, Lord, I don't know what to pray next. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how. But Lord, have mercy, you know. And the Holy Spirit takes that prayer to the throne of God. And the Holy Spirit dresses us up. It comes out of these vile bodies. That prayer comes out of this, this unholy flesh. That prayer comes out of this mortal body which must one day be given immortality. This corruptible body that has the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And the only reason they don't break out is I keep reading and studying and the Bible keeps them down. But I'm walking around a defective machinery and all of my prayers come out of this faulty vessel. My stumbling, stammering, undone prayers and the Holy Ghost takes my prayers and he flavors them with the righteousness of Christ. And he takes them before the throne of God and God can hear this poor sinner pray. I thank God for the Holy Ghost and for his work among us. And the Holy Ghost is here, John 3, verse 5, to convert us. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23, to give us the fruits of the Spirit. Some people say, well, how do I know when I got the Holy Ghost? Some folk think the Holy Ghost is dancing. Yeah? And I don't want to run down anybody's religion. But some folk think the Holy Ghost is noise and a whole lot of motion and a whole lot of of expression but you know how you know when the Holy Ghost is moving on your heart you know because he changes you from what you used to be to something better that's how you know you know because as Galatians says he produces in you the fruits of the Spirit and it's a wonderful thing to be able to look back on your life and see what you used to be and then now see to where God has brought you. Amen. How he's taken away that temper. How he's taken away that lust of the flesh. Used to be you always had to look. Now you can walk and you don't even worry about looking anymore. Just walk. Not even there. How it is that you used to always be hungry for money and beating, cheating people and, 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 and trying to get the best of folk. But now you're relaxed and you're not driven with the lust of the eye or the pride of life. How it used to be that folk could talk about you and you wanted to get back at them. You wanted to get back at them and, 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 and you... You held it in your heart. You couldn't speak to them. You couldn't shake their hand. You saw. <laughs> I, I try to walk every morning. I can. And um, when you walk, it's a two-mile track near where we live. I, I try to walk around there. And most of the times, you know, I pass people. You say, good morning, good morning. And they got their little dogs and, you know, big dogs, little dogs. And I'm the good morning. And I'm giving them room and so forth. And after a while, you get to know these people on your route. Anybody have that experience? You, you get to know the people. You see them just about every day. And there's one lady, I declare. I don't know what the lady got against me, but she can see me half a block down and cross over the other side of the street. <laughs> I don't know that lady. But she sees me coming and she walks. And if I'm on the shade, she goes to the sun. If I'm in the sun, she goes in the shade. And the devil says to me, now next time she cross, you just cross right over there with her and meet. 
that's, that's what the devil keeps telling me. And, and I, but I, I'm trying not to do that. Trying not to do that. Especially since she, she, she's not my, my, my ethnic group, you know, and then, you know, I get to thinking bad things. But, but the fact of the matter is when people reject you, when people refuse you, it, it, there was a time when you, you, old Nick would rise up, you want to do something. But as the fruits of the Spirit grow and you get the loveliness of the character of Christ, you don't, those things don't really bother you anymore. And you become calm in your home with your husband and your wife with the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have to have the last word anymore. You don't have to have the last word. Thank God. And it's so much better when you can get there. Don't have to have the last word. You can be calm. And you can be peaceful. And you can have joy and all the other elements of the fruits of the Spirit that are there. So, the, the greater light tells us of his identity and history and function, and finally and quickly, the conditions for his blessings. Number one is Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which says they were all in one place of one accord. All in one place of one accord when the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. And that's one of the conditions. Church, we will never be filled with the Holy Ghost until we all come into one accord. Now I say that advisedly because we'll never have every single member on board with every single project of the church. But we have to have unity in the home and in the church before the Spirit can descend. He can't bless us. There are conditions for these blessings in our hearts, in our homes, in our church. The Bible has a lot to say. It says in James 5, 6, pray one for another. It says in 1 Peter 1, 22, confess your faults one to another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, comfort therefore one another. A lot of one another's in the Bible. It says in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another. We're all tied in together. We're all lashed together on this little canoe out on the sea of life. And God says this little body which is the abundant life church, you are brothers and sisters and you should, 1 Peter 1.22, love one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. And Hebrews 10.25, assemble together one with another. The Bible says this togetherness, this one anotherness is an essential element of the descent of the Holy Ghost. Now we're going to have a revival the last week of the month. And you know what? What happens in that revival is not going to be so much dependent on Brother Hall and his preaching. What happens in that revival is going to depend upon how much the Holy Ghost can get in this building. Amen. Amen. That's right. It's the volume of the Holy Ghost that determines the result of our soul winning. It's the volume of the Holy Ghost 
that will determine his presence among us. And so we must be of one accord. And then Acts 4 verse 31 says that we must pray or ask for the Holy Spirit. If you're making notes, you can just put prayer there. We must ask. We must wrestle. And finally, Acts 5.32 says, we must O-B-E-Y. What does that spell, everybody? Amen. We must obey. So those are the three conditions for receiving the Holy Ghost as outlined by the greater light. And my time is up. I cannot go to the lesser light. I promise you the next time we'll deal with the Holy Ghost in the lesser light. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. If abundant life we will pray for one another we will comfort one another we will love one another we will fulfill the requirement of unity and I for one don't want to be responsible for any less of the Holy Ghost in this church or in my family or in my life than God would like to have I don't want to be the Jonah how about you but not only do I want to pray for the Holy Ghost, and not only do I want to be in oneness with my brothers and sisters, I might not agree with you in everything, but I can disagree with you and still love you. I can disagree with you and still love you. I can hug you, and, and, and we can break bread together. We don't have to be enemies because we didn't vote the same way. Huh? Yeah. And when the fruits of the Spirit get on us, we'll find out that that is possible. But we have to be humble. We can't be proud. We can't be uplifted. We can't be selfish. We can't my way or the highway. It is a willingness to submit. You know, we're such proud creatures. And that's what causes problems in the home and the church. We're so proud. But if we're willing to submit and let the Holy Ghost take over, it's all right. It's all right. God's in charge. This is his thing. It's not mine. It's his. And if I learn to leave it with him and let him work out whatever it is I don't understand and still love and have unity and harmony, the Holy Ghost will come in. And if I pray and wrestle like Jacob, remember Jacob when he was wrestling? Wrestling for his life. I don't mean every once in a while saying, Lord, bless us with the Holy Spirit. I mean make the Holy Spirit the, the, the magnificent obsession of our life. And I'm going to go a little bit ahead. I said I wouldn't get into the lesser light. But one of the things that Ellen White has to say is that the Holy Spirit and his presence with God's people had more exposure in the preaching of Jesus than any other doctrine. Jesus talked more about the Holy Ghost than he did any other subject. And it ought to be a subject that we have on our hearts as well today. And I, I, I like the way it happened with Brother Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus and Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that Nicodemus was
proud man of means. And he came to Jesus and he said, look, uh, I've, been, I've been listening to you. I've been, been hearing about you. And I, uh, I want to know what, what I have to be to be saved. And Jesus said, well, you got to be born again. You got to be born of the water and the spirit. The water and the spirit. Nicodemus says, how do you do that? I can't get into my mother's womb again. And I always thought that Nicodemus was just evasive, trying to get out of, trying, trying to avoid the obvious. But Ellen White says he really didn't understand what Jesus meant. He didn't understand. And Jesus kept talking to him, and finally, several verses later, he said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and they looked and lived, they looked at that brazen serpent, Numbers 21, and they lived. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, and he kept talking, and all of a sudden, the lights went on in Nicodemus' mind. He didn't understand the in-the-womb thing, but he reflected back on that cross. And he reflected back on the fact that on the cross that Moses erected was a brazen serpent. It was a serpent like the others, but they were fleshly serpents, slithering on the ground, biting the people, poisoning them, diseasing the multitude. But the brazen serpent was lifted up. And when they looked at the brazen serpent, all who had faith looked at the brazen serpent, they lived. And Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that when Jesus got to talking about the cross and the serpent, the lights went on. The Holy Spirit caused Nicodemus to understand what he was talking about. He needed a change of heart. He needed healing. He needed a new experience. And today, brothers and sisters, I lift up before you the cross of Jesus Christ as being more important than anybody and anything in our lives. I lift up to you the cross where Jesus, a human being, but a superhuman being because he was God in the flesh. He lived and overcame on our terms, but he was the second Adam and the Holy Spirit used him. The Holy Spirit was upon him as we read in Luke 4. The Holy Spirit led him throughout his life. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit will raise us to new heights today. And my appeal to you is, if there's anybody here who, if you were to really confess, you've been ignoring the Holy Spirit. You haven't been praying for him in your family. You've been trying to make it, but, but you haven't had the Holy Ghost emphasis that you needed. It's no shame. If you want prayer, before we finish here today, right now, you want to stand and say, Lord, bring your spirit into my life and bring it into my home. If that's your prayer, would you stand? That's my first, my first expression, my first appeal. Anybody feel like you want the Holy Spirit anew in your family? The Holy Spirit. And the other thing I wanted to tell you today, and I don't have time, is Ellen White says, the Holy Spirit brings all other blessings with you. Oh, mercy. He brings all other blessings. You want peace. You want financial stability. You want better health. 
the Holy Spirit brings all of that. And if we can have it in our homes and in our lives, we'll have it in our church. And as we go into this last quarter, as we get ready for the revival and the baptism on the 31st of October, as we get ready to finish this year with all the projects we have with our young people, our school, our adults, our family life system and all the rest, let's pray to Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to forgive us of our sins. And if we have wounded anybody, let's ask the Holy Spirit to forgive us. Would you like forgiveness if you've hurt anybody? Maybe, maybe you don't even know it, but if you just want to say, Lord, forgive me. Can you say that with me? Lord, forgive me. And can you say, Lord, send your spirit. Lord, send your spirit. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the Holy Spirit's promise. Forgive us for trying to do it on our own without the Holy Ghost. No wonder, Lord, no wonder we aren't where we ought to be. No wonder there's so many people on the verge of the kingdom still waiting to hear the gospel out there. No wonder, Lord, so many of our relatives aren't as yet keeping the Sabbath. No wonder, Lord, we haven't had the success we should have had in our evangelism. No wonder, Lord, we're still with these bad habits we can't shake. No wonder we're still doing these secret sins. Lord, send your Holy Spirit and loose us. Free us. And as we look upon the cross of Jesus today, give us victory in the Holy Ghost. And while you're standing with heads bowed, I want to appeal to that man or woman who is not a member of the church, that boy or girl who's here today, you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, but you believe that the Sabbath is the Lord's day.